0: I want to share with you an incredible story. I uh, shared this in my morning class. So if you're in the morning class already, you'll you, you'll enjoy the story a second time like I am going to enjoy this, sharing the this story with you. It's just an unbelievable story. And it's connected to the theme that I want to discuss, which is the, how our past affects our present and future. A lot of people, they look at their past, and because of the way they were in the past, they feel that's what the future is going to be. Some people, they are such an incredible youth, and they know for sure they'll be successful. Some people have a pretty challenging youth, and because of that, they feel, oh, I'm doomed. So there's a, a, they, just, they just concluded in, the, in Israel, at a conference of Chabad rabbis in Israel, and actually today, they started a conference of Chabad women uh, in New York. So there was a rabbi there from Chadera. He had a story about himself. He was 10 years old, and his family, um, his parents were separated. He had to go to the synagogue very often by himself. It wasn't a big deal for him to go to synagogue by himself. But but uh, what happened was, was that it came Yom Kippur. and night of Yom Kippur, he sees how the whole synagogue is full of people. And he's wondering how he's going to get a seat the next day. So he has an idea. I'll wake up early, and I'll find a seat. I'll come really early. He comes really early, and he notices... When he comes in the synagogue, it's pretty empty. There's about less than, less than a minyan, less than 10 people there. People are saying, Tehilim, it's, it's fairly early. And he's, you know, he's 10 years old, looking around, trying to find the seat. Oh, there's plenty of seats. But he sees every seat has a name on it. Everyone, everyone, all the seats were sold. So he's looking, where could he sit? He's so looking around the whole synagogue, every seat has a, has a name on it. And then he sees in the back, there are some, a couple of, of uh, plastic chairs, a broken table. And there's no name on it. Ah, fantastic. He takes a siddur and he starts to pray, say Taylim. He's very happy. He's saying Taylim, he's praying, he's drawing the minyan, he's, he's doing his thing. And as the prayers continue, the uh, synagogue fills up and he feels a tap on his shoulder. <clears throat> tap on his shoulder, he turns around. Boy, you're in my seat. So he's like, what do you mean your seat? I'm here since 7 o'clock in the morning. What do, what, what, how does it become your seat? doesn't have your name on it. Why is this your seat? The boy, get out of my seat. And while he's thinking about what to do, the guy starts to scream, get out now, kid. So he gets out of the seat. He's very insulted. And he starts walking around in and out of the synagogue. But most of all, he turns to God. And he says, God, you don't have a chair for a little boy in your synagogue? You don't have a chair for a little boy? Like, how could there be that there's an there's a neshamah, there's a soul that wants to pray it to you, and you don't even have a place for him? How could that be? That's that's where that's where that's where he was. That year, his mother, this was 1991, Yom Kippur 1991, That year, his mother was going through a lot of different difficult challenges, and someone had told her a good thing to do would be to write a letter to the Rebbe. Show the letter to the rabbi. And the Rebbe responded, she, checked, she should check her mezuzot. So he took the mezuzot down. And right away, the first thing they noticed was, on one of mezuzot, instead of it saying Shin Yud, which means the name of God, it said Shin which is the name of, of the opposite of the name of a God. It's the name, of, it's the name of, of the opposite of a blessing. So they checked the mezuzot, and they fixed the mezuzot, and lo and behold, Baruch Hashem, all of a sudden, doors started opening. And all, all the areas that they asked the for a blessing for, all of a sudden, things started to happen. They were so happy. And her siblings, the mother's siblings, said, you got to go to the Rebbe. got to go to the Rebbe and just be there. So she went on Rosh Kislev in Hashanah Aleph, 1991. She went. Actually, the time they had the conference of the Chabad Rabbis in Kislev, that's when she went. She comes to the Rebbe. A video. I saw the video. She comes to the Rebbe. If you're familiar with the Rebbe's talks, you'll, you'll understand how unusual this, unusual this is. If you're not, you're not going to get it, but I'll try to convey it to you. You have about a quarter of a second with the Rebbe when you pass by, and the Rebbe gives out the dollars. If you stand there, you have a few more seconds. And you try to, st- maybe a few more seconds, maybe three seconds. She, she comes by the Rebbe. She asks for a bracha for her children. The Rebbe gives her a bracha. And then it calls her back and says, and this is for your son. She comes back to Israel, and she tells her son, you know, the is thinking about you. I was thinking about him. And he, and he realized that even though there's no place for him in the synagogue next to his house, but in the, in the heart of, of, of our great Rebbe, there's a place for him too. The Rebbe thinks about him. There's a place for him in the Rebbe's heart. That, that, that's, that's what he felt. And he was sharing at this at this um, conference, he was sharing like, that's what the role really is of the Rebbe sending emissaries throughout the world, It's that every Jew should have a place. There shouldn't be a Jew, there shouldn't be someone who feels like there's no place for them. Just like the Rebbe has room for all the Jewish people in his heart, so that's what we're meant to do, uh, uh, us who have merited, that have some, some kind of connection to the Rebbe, to share that with other Jews and open door for them. So, on that note, I want to share with you the most fascinating story and meaning, not story, Torah, that I always heard about before. I never heard any satisfying explanation for it. and always was wondering about it. And uh, hopefully this will... Uh, leave us with more answers than questions, but I'm sure there will be questions uh, that won't, won't be answered today. Who is Moshe Rabbeinu's grandson? was Moses' grandson? You would think Moses' grandson... I was his grandson. Oh, you'd be a Levite, and you'd get an Aliyah, the second Aliyah, not, not the third. But who is Moses? You would think it would be a great thing to be Moses' grandson, right? Moses, Moses being his grandson, would be an amazing thing. But the Talmud says that Moses had two children, Gershom and Eliezer, and Gershom had a son named Yehonatan. Who was this Yehonatan? So it says that... Ah, uh, you uh, know about him, right? Yehonatan, he went to live in one of the cities of Living, that's Tanakh and he got a job, so you know, someone offered, he was trying to find a livelihood, trying to find work, and no one was working in masks or anything in those days. So, so he found a job... In Pesel Micha, he found a job working in a church. And he was a priest. He found the job as a priest. And, uh, and the question is, how did Moses' grandson become a priest? What, what, what was going on in his head? What was he thinking? So some, some commentaries say he didn't mean it. He didn't want to do it. He just did this for the sake of earning a living. In fact, the Torah says that he lived a long life. And the reason he lived such a long life was because of what he did as a priest. He was one of those uh, Jewish kind of priests. You know, like, he, he, you guys, people would all come to the idol and say, hey, I want to make a sacrifice to appease the idol. I want to, I want to calm the idol's wrath down. Really? What do you want to do? I want the idol to really calm down. Okay, I have an idea for you. Bring me, make ten eggs, sunny side up, you know, and flour, and I'll take care of it. And he gives him the, the ten <laughs> eggs, and he eats the eggs and eats the flour. He's like, this is all... This is all baloney. This doesn't mean anything. And he convinced many people to stop serving idols. He, was, he, he actually was, of course, it's forbidden. Of course, it was wrong. But he didn't really mean it. And they asked him, uh, what happened was there was another tribe, uh, the tribe of Dun, And they came to this, this other su- successful business, a successful church. And they said, great idea. Let's bring this home. And they wanted to steal the idol. They went to steal the idol, and this guy, Yehonatan, is like, you can't steal this idol. This is our idol from our church. Hey, how much are you getting paid? <laughs> <laughs> they don't even know how much you getting paid. Listen, we're the tribe of Dan. We have a huge tribe. We want to bring this back home and make another church much bigger and much nicer for our whole tribe. How about we hire you as our priest? Uh, why didn't you say so? So he joins the tribe of Dan, and he becomes the priest for the tribe of Dan when they were serving idols at the time of Chonol Islam. Somebody asked him, though, how, did you do, how do you do this? How do you do this? How do you be a priest for idols? So Yehonatan said, I have a tradition for my father's father. All the great intentions he had, and uh, whatever he, he, with, all, with all the explanation that he helped other people go away from idol, idol worship, it's still forbidden. How do you do it? So he said, I have a tradition for my father's father. Who's his father's father? Moshe Rabbein? Moses. And my father said, it's better to do avodah zarah. it's better to do idol worship, then, to ask people for help. Better to be an idol worshiper than to ask people for help. Josh, don't get the wrong idea. Listen to the end of the class. One second. What does that mean though? How could that be? How can Moshe Bena say that? So a lot of people, they hear what they want to hear. What Moshe Rabbeinu meant when he said that was, Avodash Hazar As the commentaries explain, Moshe meant that he should do something which is strange for him. That means, you might say this job is not m- not befitting me. I don't want to be a secretary. I want to be the I want to be the uh, the owner. And in language of Rabbi Jackie Mason, the, 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 he's, he's a janitor, but he owns the building, right? That's 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 the uh, that's I don't want to be a janitor. I, so the Moshe Rabbeinu said it's better to take a job that is unbefitting, that's disgraceful. At least don't ask people for help. That's what Moshe Rabbeinu said, and he heard this the wrong way, and he took it literally. I'm gonna be an idol worshipper. It wasn't what Moshe meant, but that's what he did. That's, that's what he said. But the story gets deeper. Well, this week, we're reading Parashat Yitro. Yitro was Moshe's father-in-law. This story of Manasseh of, of Yehonatan, has a backstory. Torah says that when Moshe Rabbeinu came to the well and he met Yisro's daughters, all of the other shepherds uh, tried chasing them away and Moshe protected them. And Moshe comes back to Yitro, and he tells Yitro he wants to marry Yitro's daughter, Tzipora. And Yitro says, you can marry my daughter on one condition. What's the condition? You know the condition? You heard this before, I'm sure. Yeah? What's the condition? The condition is that your first son has to be an idol worshiper. And Moshe agrees. Your first son will be an idol worshiper, and the rest is Shem Shemaim. And Hashem swore to Yitro to do that. That's what says in the Talmud. I'm not making this up. It's in the script. It says so in the Mechilta. He, he, he swore to Yitro that his first son will be an idol worshiper. What does that even mean? How did Moshe Rabbeinu agree to such a thing? Why, why, and also, before getting gets Moshe Rabbeinu, how about Yitro himself? Why were Yitro's daughters his shepherds? What happened was like this. Yitro, he served every idol in the world. And as the Torah says, he realized that all these idols were not were fake. And that's why the Torah says, the Zohar says, the Torah could not have been given until Yitro came to join the Jewish people. Why Yitro? Because Yitro, after trying out all the idols in the world and realizing all of them are, they're all meaningless, his acknowledgement of the truth of Hashem was so meaningful because he tried every idol in the world. What happened when Yitro came back to Midian after trying all the idols in the world and realizing that they're all meaningless? Before he came to join the Jewish people get the Torah, when he came, you know what he did? They're all looking up at him. He's the top priest. He's like, guys, I'm old. I can't continue this. They say words that come from the heart enter the heart. When he said i'm old, what do you really mean? This is all really a waste of time i'm too old for this, I'm too old to do all these things and they and they heard the message they realized he doesn 't believe in this stuff anymore. so what they say to him after he says i'm too old for this, they said you, you're disgracing our religion you're disgracing all of our beliefs that's what you're doing. They ostracized him, they made a hair they said that no none of our none of our our boys will marry your daughters. none of us will ever work for you. you are going to uh, be, no one's going to ever talk to you ever again. And that's why Yitro had no choice but to hire his daughters as his shepherds because because of the and because of the ban, all the people in the town made against Yitro and and his daughters. So Yitro knew how bad it was to serve idols. Yitro knew how terrible it was. Yitro sacrificed his life before being Moshe's father in law. He knew this was all baloney. So why would he, in the world, would he tell Moshe Rabbeinu To to promise him that his first son should be an idol worshiper. What did that even mean? So, one explanation is like this: What again? Look at the words "avodah zarah." Avodah doesn't just mean idol worship; it also means do something which is strange for you. Yitro had a great advantage that he gave the world because of his experience, because of where Yitro was coming from, because of who he was. He had a different kind of passion. In his Judaism, in his belief in God, when someone's brought up with Judaism, brought up with Torah, brought up with Mitzvot, they don't really they don't really appreciate what they have. They say, "At what point does a person stop being about Baal Teshuva? A person decides to keep Judaism. At what point they they stop from being about Baal Teshuva to being a regular? When you become a regular, become a regular when you start talking in the middle of davening, because <laughs> when you're about Baal Teshuva, you feel it's, it's a new world. They say a place about Baal Teshuva a I cannot reach. Why? Because a Baal Teshuva he feels he feels the the fire." of his prayers, because a the fire of Mitzvot, the fire of his Torah. So Yitro said, I don't want my kids, my grandchildren to grow up, and they're just going to be like everybody else, just do the things regular, just do things in a frigid way. I want it to be fire. So I want it to, to come to, to, to be, not to serve idols, but they should grow up in Midian. They should speak the language of Midian. They should wear the clothing of Midian. They should learn all the different customs of Midian, and then they should be exposed to the truth of Torah. They should first try everything else first and then realize how fake that is and then they'll get to be like me. But it was a mistake. And Moshe Rabbeinu identified with this. Moshe Rabbeinu had a similar experience. Moshe Rabbeinu was raised in the house of the Pharaoh. And he was educated by the Pharaoh and educated by the people of the Pharaoh, educated in the depraved culture of Egypt. So he's very familiar with the advantage of coming from, a, coming from the darkness and discovering the light. And therefore, it, what Mithro said resonated. However, it was forbidden what he said. Why is it forbidden? We say every day in our prayers, we start every morning by saying to God, God, please don't bring me to a place of a challenge. Please don't challenge me. You're not allowed to bring yourself to a place of a challenge. You're not allowed, no matter what your intentions are, you're not allowed to say to God, I want to be challenged. In fact, you have to do whatever you can, so that you shouldn't go to a place of a challenge. I'll say, exactly. So Moshe said, I, I don't agree with you about, about being brought up in the culture of Midian. I don't agree with you. Like imagine a lot of parents that they make this big mistake. They tell their kids be careful to brush your teeth and make sure they brush their teeth. On the home we talk about more important things like what they believe in and what figure it out by yourself. <laughs> it's a you know it's like it's, a, it's like inviting to your house someone that you know you know, with, with 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 tattoos and uh, full of, and and on drugs. I think please, please you no know, please hang out and be my babysitter for my kids. You know it's 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 no one would do that. A lot of parents, I want my kids to find their own way. Do you want them to find their own way? Even their, even their dental hygiene, you want to teach them. So how much more so their spirituality and the things they believe in, how much more so do you want to, you want to have a, a say in, 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 and guide them? So this is what what, he, what Moshe agreed to do. When Moshe said, I swear that my son will be an idol worshipper, doesn't mean literally an idol worshipper. It means that he should be involved in things which are strange, which means that being a Jew is different to being than other religions. Other religions talk about divorcing yourself from the world, being involved only in the spiritual, setting separating yourself. A Jew has to meant to be involved in the physical. A Jew is meant to be involved and have a business and to involve in the physical and to work. And yet being involved in the physical and learn, still not to take interest, as the Torah says, and to be honest. And to say a bracha before you eat. The Torah doesn't say that you have to be uh, separate and not to get married. The Torah says it's, marriage is a holy thing. The Torah says work is a holy thing. The Torah says that 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 eating is a holy thing. a table is called an altar. So when Moshe Rabinu, agrees to the idol worship, it doesn't agree to idol worship. He agrees again to Avodah shazara lo to do something that feel that that seems that's strange to God. It's not holy. Yes, Moshe agrees. Moshe swears I agree to that. That's the, that's the way it's meant to be. So what happened to Yehonatan? So Yehonatan, it says in the Torah. The only time was called the son of Menashe. Why Menashe? So the son of Gershom, the son of Menashe. What, what, what Menashe? So you look in the Tanakh, the, the letter of Nun, in the word Menashe is above the line. It's not in the regular place. So it could be read as, Oh, Giyorah, Hashem Aleichem. Giyorah, Abraham David. Yorah David, bin Abraham. If you look at, we're talking about the subject, that interests of all, amazing, you're here. This is, this is your subject. <laughs> It says that Yehonatan was the Lord, son of... Lord, Lord Moses, great, great. What it says that Yehonatan was the son of Menashe. Who is this Menashe? He's not the son of... He's son of, of grandson of Moshe. So you look more carefully, the Nun is above the line, which means, the Talmud explains, Yehonatan had a choice. Either he could be a son of Menashe, or he could be a son of Moshe. Who is Menashe? Menashe is a famous king that was an idol worshipper. But among all the idol worshipping kings, unfortunately we had many kings who were idol worshippers, Menashe was unique in the fact that his father was a tzaddik. His father was a very righteous person, and yet he was an uh, idol worshipper. So he could either be a son of Moshe, or a son of Menashe. And he chose to be a son of Menashe. What happened to this Yohanatan? So Arizal says, amazing. Arizal says, you "No, know, we have Roshim Yochai? Yashemah Yochai, and his son, getting you dizzy, right? Yashemah Yochai, and his son Eliezer. They were a Gilgul, Yashemah Yochai was a Gilgul of Moshe Rabbeinu, and Yohonatan was a Gilgul of, Eliezer was Gilgul of Yohonatan. That means, Yashemah Yochai's son. So, although although it wasn't Moshe's fault that Yohonatan went off, but he... Moshe and Abinu had, had a way he had to do with Yehonatan's mistake because Moshe, what did Moshe Benu say? He said it's better to be Avodah He didn't mean literally like Yehonatan took it the wrong way but he still he still uh, said something that made him that made him go off the wrong way he still had something to do it still confused him and therefore Hashem arranged that Moshe Abinu should have a Tikkun and Yehonatan should have a Tikkun and Moshe Rabbeinu went, was became a Gilgul in Shimba Bo Yehoi. And go in the And then he taught him Torah again, and and was able to give a tikkun to Yehonatan. It gets even deeper, but I, I know how much time we have left. How much time we have left, Joseph? Thirty seconds. Okay, thirty seconds. <laughs> <laughs> it says that Moshe Rabbeinu, when Moshe Rabbeinu was praying for us after the sin of the golden calf, it says Vayichal Moshe at the Shpnei Hashemulka. Moshe Rabbeinu prayed word by Ichal, Rizal says, the Gemara says, he, had, he was burning fire in his bones. Fire was burning in his bones. Why was your fire burning in his bones? What does it even mean? So it says the word bones doesn't just mean bones. Bones means the essence. Bones means the very core. When Nebuchadnezzar, before Rabbi Kiva became a, a religious person, he hated Torah scholars. He says, give me a Torah scholar and I'll bite him like a donkey. And the Talmud asks, why like a donkey? Why not like a dog? He's because dogs bite the flesh, donkeys bite the bones. So Akiva said, said, He hated Tachachamim in his bones. In a similar way, who was this Menashe? Moshe uh, Rabbeinu, this, this uh, Yehonatan. Moshe Rabbeinu, com- he, he, he said to God, Why have you done evil to your people? Why have you done so bad to your people? It's word we shouldn't say. The word bad, now not to say the word bad. The Chafetz Chaim says you could say the word bitter, you can't say the word bad. Whatever God does is good. You can't say that God does bad, you could say it's bitter. The Jewish people at that time, babies were dying in two ways. One way babies were dying was they were thrown in the Nile River. The other way they were dying was they were put in the walls. So it says, and the Rizal says, the reason they were dying these two ways was because of the, the souls. At that time, God was actually trying to help them. They were all Gilgulim, they were all reincarnations. The generation of the flood was, re- was reincarnated in the souls that were drowned. And the generation of those who built the Tower of Babel to rebel against God, they were reincarnated in the souls that, uh, that were built on the wall. So this Moshe Rabbeinu says to God, why do evil to your people? And he saw a baby in the wall and he wanted to rescue the baby. make a long story short, that baby that Moshe rescued was Micha. Who was Micha? When, Mo- when the Jewish people left Egypt, Moshe Rabbeinu went to bring Yosef, the bones of Yosef, with them. How is he going to find the bones of Yosef? The bones of Yosef were buried in the, in the Nile River. The Egyptians put Moshe, Yosef in the Nile River to bring a blessing to the Nile River. They hoped that his, his presence in the Nile River would somehow make things better for the Nile River. So how is he going to get the bones of Yosef out of the Nile River? So Moshe bin wrote on a metal plate, shore, let the ox rise. One of the euphemisms that's used about Yosef, Yosef is called an ox. So he put the plate on the Nile River. And the bones of Yosef arose. Who is watching all this? This, this, this boy Micha, the one that Moshe rescued. So Moshe rescues uh, this boy. He sees Moshe take the bones of Yosef miraculously. And what does he do? He takes Moshe leaves with the bones of Yosef. And, and the Jewish people take the, Yosef to Israel. He takes the plate. And then when the confusion happened, when the Jewish people came to the, to the sin of the golden calf, they threw the, 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 the gold in the fire an ox came, a, a calf came out of the fire. How did a calf come out of the fire? This Micha, he came with this plate, and he threw the plate into the fire so that the ox should come out. So when Moshe prayed, you imagine how, how that hurt Moshe. Here he rescued this child, and this child does exactly the opposite. But despite all that, despite all the, the tremendous pain that Moshe Rabbeinu had, we see from the story, the end of the story is good. The end of the story is that this Yehonatan eventually does, he lived a long life, he lived all the way to the time of David HaMelech, and what did David Melch do? This is a, just conclude with this. Let Eitan go. Conclusion is David Amelech hired Yehonatan to be Sar Haotzar. He hired him to be his treasurer. He saw David said This guy loves money. <laughs> he likes money, so he got him by the thing that, that 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 he cared about. He said, "Let me make this. Let me give this guy a good job." He gave him a good job, and he became wealthy as an employee of King David. And he did teshuva and he returned to God. So it teaches us the story teaches us of the story of Moshe and his grandson teaches us a couple of things. Number one is that God never lets you go, even if you go in the wrong direction. God always gives you a a chance to make a tikkun. Number two, don't ever, don't you shouldn't trust yourself that you're not going to make a mistake. We all (laughs) make mistakes. Don't put yourself in a state of a challenge, no matter what it is. Never bring yourself to a place. Oh, I can handle it. I can handle it. Don't bring yourself to a place of a challenge. And the bottom line is, number one thing is, we all have a spark of Moshe in us. We all have a spark in us that. That is pure and holy, and eventually it comes out. Like a friend of mine once asked his rabbi, he says, "Rabbi, what's the best way to run away from God?" The rabbi says, "The best way to run away from God is run to God. Because <laughs> you run away, you're eventually gonna it's a boomerang. You're eventually gonna come back. So it's much easier to go straight. Much easier. Much easier. And Hashem should also realize who we are and what we are. Have a spark of in and we should to see came in the of